Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now, cue the music. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the 69th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today, we've got Kate Grady from Adaptive Studios here to talk to us about what she likes uh, in a pitch and what she doesn't like. It's super informative. We go deep on what to do, um, the nitty-gritty on literally what you should bring to a pitch, what you shouldn't bring, her likes and dislikes. Uh, and we get into it. So it's another good one. It's great if you've got a pitch coming up or um, if you're just curious about what that process is like. Yeah, we do a really deep dive, and I think the thing I learned the most was you just got to be connected to the material, and everything else is just a matter of personal preference. Uh, So good luck, guys. (laughs) But listen to Kate, because I learned a ton from this interview. We'll catch you on the other side. We have with us today Kate Grady. Kate Grady! Hello. That Matt met at College Humor back in the day. Back in the day. And she was a producer on Miss 2059. Mm-hmm. And now she's at a new company, Adaptive, and producing a show with Matt coming up. Are we allowed to say that? We are. Oh, we good. can say that. Hey. As yeah. long as you sign your contract next week. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but more importantly, She's a listener of this podcast on occasion, mm-hmm. and she wrote us a question. Hey, guys, big fan of both of you. Love the podcast. General inquiry below. I've only ever been on one side of the table for pitches, and I'm curious about pitch style and the decisions folks make in the room. Broadly, pitches come in all over the map as fully rehearsed monologues, while others are more casual conversation. Is pitch style and substance something that you guys think about? How do you prepare your ideas and yourself for the room? Do you have expectations of the people in the room you're pitching to? And how much does the vibe of the room affect your pitch? Is your experience more similar to improv or to an interview? And that is the question, which sounds a lot like (laughs) it comes from bad experiences. (laughs) It comes from all kind of experience in the room. Well, before we dive in too deep, uh, Kate, um, catch us up on what you're doing now uh, post-college humor and all of that. So I left... Oh, God. Two years ago now? 
three years maybe 15 years ago 15 years ago um I left and went to New Form, where I did Miss 2059 with Oren, and oversaw a slate of shows. Did you do um, Shitty Boyfriends with Matt? I half did Shitty Boyfriends. That was like my first week, I think, on the job. It was very fun, and Matt made a lot of fun of me on set for being the suit, (laughs) which was That's a good joke. Yeah, it's a good joke. Um, (laughs) I feel like uh, half of my podcast stories are like, one time, uh, this terrible thing happened. And Kate was the producer. (laughs) Probably. That is true. We've been through this shit. We've seen it all. Um, And then I left Newform and I'm at Adaptive Studios. And I'm the executive director of production. And I oversee, right now we have a slate of like 50 digital productions. So as the executive director, you also listen to pitches? Constantly. So the difference between Adaptive and other studios on the digital side is that there is a concert between production and development from day one. We each hear every long line, every pitch, we decide what projects to do together, and we develop with the intention to produce. There's nothing on our slate that we don't want to actually make within the, like a year. The advantage of that is that you don't buy a show that you can't afford. Correct. Which, which sounds like common sense, but um, most of the time doesn't happen. Like, you know, We've all been on jobs where, like, especially on the branded side, um, you know, you end up um, trying to make something that's more ambitious than the funds that you have. And that's, like, the a good way to make a bad thing, basically. Yeah. Well, the problem is when you're pitching something, you want it, you just pitch, you want to sell it. So you just pitch, like, the craziest, biggest, most expensive thing there is. And then when you sell it because your pitch is so good, then you realize you can't do any of it. Yeah. For sure. And the model with... The positive side with Adaptive is that it is all deficit financed. So the studio has the money to make these things as long as we're staying within a certain budget range. So we know coming through and what to tell you we can do within our means. And then it's up to the creators to come back to us and say, like, here's my idea in that realm. Right. And then we help them develop it to stay in that realm for production and development. And can you tell us what deficit financing means? Sure. Deficit financing means... We don't take money from third parties to do these shows. It's all money that the studio already has. So we're only the only masters in the room. There's not very many cooks in the kitchen. So it's really clean, creative. And so like at New Form, if you're doing a show for Go90, they're giving you the money. If you're doing a show for Refinery29, they're giving the money. Correct, yeah. So with the digital model that we are currently operating under at Adaptive, it's like Adaptive's money that we are spending. And then once the show's made, we'll take it out for licensing. And just a tiny bit of context on Adaptive. Uh, they're largely known for Project Greenlight, right? Mm-hmm. That's a show they produced. Um, and they, you guys kind of have like an incubator model, right? Sort of. We don't really call it incubator, um, but it is similar con- conceptually. So we take digital concepts and try to make six episode series out of these concepts. And it's pretty micro budget, but... The win for the creator is that it really is very few people coming in and telling you how to make this and like what you what your limits are. And so it takes a lot of ambition, but there's kind of two pots of people that come to us that are able to make in this space. And one is new creators who have the means to bring in a lot of favors and a lot of help. 
to there's make a lot content. of like success stories of like i just graduated college and all mm-hmm. of my friends can work for free correct yeah and like this is their big idea that they want to take a big swing on right not unlike your first indie feature correct yeah right. And just um, to be clear, the six episodes, how long is each episode? About 10 minutes. So about an hour of content mm-hmm. is kind of your the a show. sweet spot, yeah. I mean, we love over, we're okay with an episode if it's a little bit under 10 minutes. Like, we really like creative dictate um, to a certain extent. And then the second part of people we work with is a lot of people who have had a lot of success in the space. People who have been really successful ADs and now want to direct. People who have been in the writer's room for three or four years and now want to show run it's people who have seen how hard it is to get their own ideas made and then they come to us and we're able to say like here's a little bit of money go make it and so and it's important to clarify when you say a little bit of money you mean a little bit of money by um hollywood standards for sure but uh a shit ton of money Mm -hmm. for um a, a person who just graduated college for instance like for more, sure. more than a thousand dollars per minute of content mm-hmm. we should say yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah that's the world we live in yeah, which is kind of now like the indie filmmaking golden ratio it used to be 10 but that was back when you had to expose film basically mm-hmm. like the show that i'm working on is going to be awesome but we are pulling favors in a real way um how the, long is that show the show you're doing for no, no, no. I mean, I mean, adaptive. Oh, the adaptive yeah, yeah. show that, yeah. um, to be announced, uh, adaptive show. But well, everyone's getting paid. You know what I mean? It's kind of like it's the passion project sort of situation, mm-hmm. basically. So I met with Kate and Stephen, the other person there that listens yeah, to pitches. And to me, like, what's appealing about the adaptive model compared to everywhere else where I've met is that. Every, everyone you ever meet with says that the creative dictates everything. That is true. But then they like try to get a makeup vlogger to be like the star of your show, <laughs> right? Pretty much like nine times out of ten. Or they're like, by the way, AT&T is paying for this, so you can't use pink at all in the entire right. series. You're like, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> it's and about cheerleaders, but whatever. Sometimes that's worth it, and sometimes <laughs> that makes you want to tear your hair out. For sure. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's always worth it to, to some degree, but... There's like the projects that you're doing because you want to be like one cog in a we in like the big machine, and there's the projects that you're like really passionate about, and you you want to make something that people haven't seen before, right? You're not, and that's what you guys said when I met with you. You said you don't want to fit in a box, or there's some term you said. Yeah, we don't really want to do things that have been done before. We want derivative works, I guess. We want things that are really unique, singular ideas, and. It's an exciting space to work in. And I think you mentioned Project Greenlight, which is the inception of where all this started. That came on the air again in 2015. And did you guys watch the early seasons when they were on, like when we were in college? Boy, did I. Yes. Yeah, super inspiring. Battle right? of Shaker Heights. Yes, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I love that season. <laughs> yeah. We rewatched that season um, when the new season was airing as well. So we would pair them. And it was really wonderful. That's very cool. Yeah, it was so much fun. Yeah. Well, so you guys understand the concept, and I'm sure your listeners do as well. Um, but back then, when like Shaker Heights season came out, technology isn't what it is now. Like sure. You couldn't edit a movie on your laptop. You had to have access to Hollywood in some way to understand how to use the equipment. And now, in the 2015 season, a guy in, in the middle of Utah, uh, Arius Sarbon, was one of the top 10. He's amazing. He did a series with us that is now on Black Pills. The top 200 people who came into the green light, like, 
contest were amazing filmmakers mm-hmm. and they were coming out from anywhere. There were people in Florida, there were people in Iowa, there were people in California, like just the quality that jumped from season to season and the number, there were 5,000 submissions for that season. And so out of that, that's where Adapta thought, what can we do with these people? Yeah, you've got this crop of incredible mm-hmm. filmmakers. Mm-hmm. How do you um, give them more opportunities than just yeah. that one TV show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so that kind of birthed the digital arm of Adaptive as well as we keep doing contests. So like quarterly, we have contests that are, some have been sponsored by brands and they have very specific things. Like we did a Pete's contest. Um, some are just genre based. We just did a horror contest and an animated contest. And some, the original Get the Green Light was just, tell us your best story. We want to hear it. And then we get to go fund those things and keep bringing in new talent mm-hmm. among people like you that I just know through the industry. Right. Um, it's a very cool engine to keep bringing in fresh, emerging people. And how many projects do you guys have going on at any time? So we had 15 last year. And we have um, over 50 right now on our development through post-production. So it is a busy time. Five, 55, five, zero. Five, zero. And they're all mostly kind of that six, six episode show. Mm-hmm. For the most part. There's a few outliers that came in before. Essentially, the Emmys came down at the ruling last year that to be considered in the digital space, you have to have six episodes. Mm-hmm. So like that's the hard line we have. Episode length, we're malleable on. Like genre, we're malleable on. The only stuff we're really not doing is stuff that feels very webby, that feels mm-hmm. like like it, it could be someone at home making it for YouTube. And I've got some very funny friends. Mm-hmm. We all live in North Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And we just say the funniest stuff. It has to be a show. Right, it's about actors auditioning. Yeah. Mm, is it about yeah. an Uber driver as well? <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> an Uber driver. I'm, you know my friend Avi. He's like trying to get me to shoot this short about Uber. And mm. I'm like, dude, that's like so 2012. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody has an Uber pitch. Most Uber... Um, Concepts are about a singular driver and all the people they run into and how crazy yeah. that is. It's high maintenance, but meets Uber. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Right. And now there's those purchases for cab weed delivery. There's a lot of those about weed delivery. A lot delivery. of weed right. delivery? A lot oh, of weed man. concepts right now. You know, I'm like so not interested in weed concepts. Like the fact that it's been legalized makes it a thousand times less interesting. Don't sure. people understand this? Agree. <laughs> yeah. It used to be an <laughs> underground criminal thing and now right. it's like legal which makes it as interesting as the pizza delivery yeah all of the concepts are about the commercialization of weed of like oh it's like lift but for weed and i ride my moped and deliver weed for this conglomerate yeah not to mention high maintenance is (laughs) is a thing yeah it's like the best web series of all time and was made into a television show Mm -hmm. well so let let, let me segue this into a pitching question because this is something you know as we get older we start like you, start, recog- you recognize patterns like that, right? Right. And, yeah, and we start telling ourselves not to pitch things because they've already been done. Whereas right. when you're younger, you're so excited and passionate, you're just pitching whatever is the thing you're most interested in. I, I think, I personally think that's actually a better way to be mm-hmm. than to be like me, where I'm like, well, they did do that right. in It Follows, so I'm not going to I, I always joke it. about like, oh, it's me and my funny friends and we all live together as the example of the worst pitch of all time. And that's also workaholics. And friends. And friends. And, yeah, and so always many sunny things. And, yeah. and Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. 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 What about new shows? But, but, well, but I mean, I used to say that when the Workaholics pitch came in at right. Comedy Central, and mm. that was like a huge hit. And it's literally 
a three funny dudes who live in Southern California and like ha- have crazy adventures. There's it's so low. Well, concept. I heard this other. Th- I'm going to be honest right now and tell you, I've never seen an episode of Workaholics. It's pretty funny. I I know it's good. I and just, a, for some reason, and also about weed too. So <laughs> yeah, there we go. But I heard it pitched as. Basically, it's about these guys that work during the day and party at night and on the weekends, like 90% of Americans that don't live in Hollywood. Right. Mm. Basically, it's like a show about all these people that for some reason you would think there's a million shows like this, but there aren't. When you're listening to a pitch, I mean, we already said that you're not looking for stuff that's derivative, but how Mm. much do you care about uh, whether the concept you're being pitched is something that feels familiar? Is that a a big... like? especially if it's a little low concept, if it's about a character, like you think about insecure, that HBO show, you know, it's just about a girl and her life, you know, kind of trying to live in, in two cultures. Right. Right. Which is something we've seen before. I mean, pitches that come in that feel like something you've already seen before. The real thing that differentiates a good pitch that is similar to something else is specificity and, Steven Christensen is our director of development and has drilled this into me for the past two years. Theme and character are really the driving force behind what we do. And I love this metaphor. He hates this metaphor. So if you talk to him. Sorry, Steven. Sorry, dude. Um, Storytelling in the digital space is a lot more like short stories. In short stories, you can dive deep on a single character, on a concept, on a theme, on a moment like it's not plot driven and in the digital space we have the freedom to tell stories that are more similar to that that really you can have the freedom that it isn't about like the hooky concept of of like a girl in the city looking for love like and every episode she has a bad date like we don't we don't have to rely on hooks in this space instead we can really think about how to tell a story in a new way and really tear up form and structure and so a story that comes in and that is a that is a comedy, if you think about it in a new way, it will have similarities regardless to something that already exists. But if you have a specific voice and a specific character you're trying to explore or a specific theme you're trying to explore, it's it's going to resonate in the room. You're saying that the character you care more about the character than the plot and, and the voice. And is that something that you feel like you can get out of a pitch? For sure. I think a good pitch for me is somebody who's passionate about what they're talking about can have fun in a room um, and like really understands what the crux of what their story is. A lot of people come in and it's like they they have memorized so beat by beat of like, it's a girl in the city. She wants love. And like, if you can't. You have a script. Yeah. yeah, they have a script. And if you can't knock them off script and have a real conversation about the piece, then they don't know the story they're trying to sell well enough to create it, in in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think sometimes on the podcast I'll refer to something as sweaty, you know, mm-hmm. which is kind of more of a comedy term. Um, but that's what I mean, is like it feels rote and rehearsed in a way that shows that they're trying too hard. Mm. And that makes it betrays their confidence, basically. For sure. And being in a room like that, it, it must be so hard. I'd love to hear from your perspective, because being on one side of the table, it's like you have instant empathy for the person in the room and you want them to succeed. And so Stephen and I have put in a process where we have a general before any pitch. Like we want to tell you what we're looking for 
and the kind of story retelling we're looking to make to give them a leg up. Mm -hmm. And then if they come back in the room and it's still, she's a girl in the city looking for love. It's like, all right. Yeah. If I can knock you off that, tell me what this story is about. Tell me why we care about this character. Tell me why you're the person to tell this story. What is right? What is special and specific about this? Yeah. I mean, I guess my opinion on the script thing is some people need it. Like, pitching is really nerve-wracking. I actually heard this story on the Nerdist Writers panel or something of David Caspi, who was a showrunner on Happy Endings. Supposedly, when he pitched Happy Endings, he went there into the room and he was like so nervous he just told him like listen guys i'm really nervous i'm literally just gonna read my pitch off this paper i apologize and it was just a really good pitch like it was funny you know he the way he even just read it off you know it was like a best man speech like type mm-hmm. of vibe um and there is i think there's especially if you're hiring a writer creator showrunner type person if they can write themselves like a really good script that's engaging and then obviously get knocked out or get asked questions about it and asked right. about characters. I think there is like an okay way of doing that. And I've pitched off script too before. And it's sometimes it's gone well and sometimes it's gone not well. And I think the difference is like really how well you know the material, kind of like what you're saying. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. I think there's a difference between not knowing what you're going to say mm. or having an idea of the structure and flow of the way that you want to unfold the project um, versus, you know, just winging it, right? Like, I, I tend to be much more off book. And on the projects that are a little half-baked, you know, <laughs> sometimes you realize, like, oh, I've run out of gas on this idea. And, uh, you know, I haven't thought it through as, not, as much. And those ones, you can just kind of, like, you know, push under the rug and right. keep moving on to something else. I think for specifically what we're doing in the digital space, it's it's... It's not a Fox room. It's not a Cartoon Network or a Comedy Central. Like the traditional pitch is very much more rigid. Like you're in a room of people who it's not like Steven and I in a room. We're mm-hmm. trying to find something that we can make and write and afford and that we like the people we're working with and trust them with our right. our small amount of funds. That's a totally different process. I, I disagree. I think it's really? this, exactly the same. I don't know. I, I feel like everybody who goes into different. the big rooms, it's, it's, I mean, I guess you tell me, is it not more intimidating to be? The table is bigger. Mm. Um, and maybe there's a, literally, like literally, you're like, oh, great, there's a fucking giant table. But like, otherwise, there's just one more person and maybe they like make more money than you guys do. But otherwise, it's the same. They don't make more money than that movie. No, I make all the money. Digital script. <laughs> um, no, like, I, for real. Like, I, I really don't think that. I, I think so that, interesting. Well, there's obviously a difference pitching like 12 one-hour episodes versus six five-minute episodes or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like, in, just in terms of how much. How much I, you, I think you when you're to pitching to ABC Studios or whatever, you want them to feel confident that you know exactly where this show is going and what's the happening, all the beats and all the turns and maybe especially after that general meeting with you and Steven, mm-hmm. it's more like, you know, this this show is about, you know, a man trying to figure out if he should give up on his dream or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, here's some ways that we're going to see that and here's where it begins and here's where it ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's, like, enough for a, a pitch for you guys, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the show, you or in a network room, you might 
and want to add like 10 characters episodes <laughs> and all your character yeah breakdowns. and second yeah. season goes here but mm-hmm. you don't need all of that i guess is what i'm saying like you have to know your show and you have to know the promise of your show and the premise of your show and where it's going in a general sense but also you have to like when you sell those shows you're you know go you're going into development so they need to be able to like craft things with you a little bit. If you just walk in and you're like, here you go. Here's my series Bible. Here's my pilot. Here's the other episodes. They're not, they don't get to like put their hands on it at all. You know? Like, yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm actually curious to hear Kate's point of view. Cause I had uh, our babysitter happens to be a member of the writer's guild was talking about how there's this trick, this balance when you pitch someone a show and you're like it's going to be this and this and this and this and we're super confident we love it and it's going to be great because of this but we are willing to change everything you know <laughs> if you don't like it like how that that balance and i think i think saying like but we're not married to anything is like not to me not the greatest thing to say it's like there's a difference between nothing is precious and we're open right. we want to collaborate and saying like we but, don't really care about that, that's not saying. what i'm saying though i'm saying like you don't you don't spell out every single beat or ne- or need to know every single beat you need to know the big picture ideas you need to understand character and theme mm. and the end the engine of your show right like how yeah. how is each episode going to unfold is it you know, and she goes on a crazy date in every episode. Okay, great. So then, and and what's the overall season arc? But like, I don't need to know literally what all of those crazy dates are. I need to have right. a couple good ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you want people to be like, you know what? I had a crazy date where uh, I dated, you know, a cannibal. And then like, <laughs> oh, that's so great. That That could be an episode. That'd be so wonderful. The projects that seem to go the best are the projects that start the freshest that have the least amount of material that like there are so many factors we can't control about these projects that starting with a log line starting with a deck starting with like the concept and be able to build out with someone we had a pitch today that was is based on a short they have a 16 page script it's a great concept and they came in with just like a timeline of here's what i think is going to happen and it was like a great conversation with them about Mm -hmm. Here's here's where the, we think you could take these characters. They understand their world so well that we can talk about, let's play with the structure. Do we see the future of the, from this moment or the past from this moment? Do we meet these characters in 10 years? Are we seeing it from the mother's perspective or from the child's perspective? Like those conversations where you can look at a project holistically and really figure out the most interesting way to tell the story based on just a sliver. So then it's opening the writer's minds to how easy it is in this digital format to change the way you're telling stories. You don't need to be tied to the traditional, we have six episodes, it's going to be a three X structure, just like a feature. There's a definitive end. We're happy with a season that ends with what happens next, because then we're more likely to have people who want to To know what happens next. next. And so when you say we're happy with that, do you mean you prefer that? Preference is a hard thing. I mean, there's some great stuff that is three act and that has like a firm ending, but the engine, you still recognize what the engine is Mm -hmm. for a bigger television version or feature film version. Um, Right. Because I don't think we got to this, but there is an idea with everything you guys make that it has a life beyond that first mm -hmm. run. That's the ultimate goal is to do the upstream model. And so with these emerging filmmakers, if this is essentially in the 90s, they did feature films and now we're trying to bring filmmakers into the digital space and say like, this is the feature film of today. Here's a little bit of money. Go make your dream project. We're going to help you 
be able to actually physically make it on this kind of money and give you as many resources as we can. Um, but like, it's it's the same concept, I guess, at its core. I'm going to cheat a little bit because I do want to bring you guys some ideas. But would you prefer like someone coming in with like 10 log lines mm-hmm. of things all, all, you know, with characters and themes and kind of the the idea, like why they care about making this, mm-hmm. um, but not really fully thought out? Or would, would you prefer like three decks that have kind of an, a visual style and like a little bit of the plot and how the format would work and like where where is the sweet spot in terms of what it would excite Literally you more to listen to yeah yeah right also a deck is just a powerpoint presentation everyone yeah mm-hmm. or keynote I mean, or keynote or indesign or yeah. design, but but just like a deck cuz that's a confusing term mm-hmm. for people it's just like a well presented pitch uh document usually Correct. in a pdf mhm yeah yeah pdf with graphics and pretty pictures and descriptions mm-hmm. of your show sorry well i think a, we've seen success both in both models. Of somebody has a fully baked, beautiful deck they've spent hours on, like every corner is perfectly aligned and the margins are gorgeous. And then we've had people who just literally sent a list of, here's 30 log lines, let me know which ones make you think and just like email me back and I will send you a paragraph. And both work really well. I think the best thing you can do for yourself is come into the room and have a conversation about it and, and be realistic about like, I haven't explored my characters that much, but here's the scenario. Here's the crux. Here's the engine. Here's the theme, whatever it is you do know, just have a conversation about it mm-hmm. and, and start figuring out the parts that really you're attached to and the parts that the development executives attached to and the part that the production executive says are possible. Mm-hmm. And like, just be realistic and open and if it crosses a line where you're like, this isn't what I want to make anymore, have that conversation too. I just think it's a a hard thing to say, do this and it will be successful. It's really a relationship game at a certain level. And then exploring what part is the most attractive to you about it instead of assuming what you think other people want. Right. I think to me, like what is helpful to me and probably our listeners too, is like, what are the top turnoffs? So, oh, okay. Because sometimes... <laughs> Because I don't know if sending someone 10 log lines is like, oh, these people aren't really that passionate about anything because they got 10 things and they're expecting me to go do the work to figure out what is Well, and good. part of that I think is also what Kate is saying is context, right? Mm-hmm. Like after that general, you know, you walk away and you're like, this guy's got a thousand ideas. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I want to hear the, what, what, what's the crazy one? What are you holding back on? Mm-hmm. Right? Like throw out, give it, give us the crazy stuff versus like, oh, they're, you know, a focused person who's got that baby that we want to bring to life. You know, like there's, you know, those are the two spectrums, right? So, um, but I think that part of it is just like understanding who is in the room with you. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. are, are you the the slow baker or are you the, you know, Johnny Appleseed? Right. Terrible and metaphor. I don't so understand sorry, that at all, but um, <laughs> but I think something that it took me like 15 years to learn in the city is that when you sell something, you're selling yourself usually much more than the idea. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I think there is the right person that could come in and pitch you that this girl goes on a different date every episode and you would buy it. If it's that person is has like yeah, some, I also want to work with them. I made that show with Kate. You know who sold it to us? 
Lisa Kudrow. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. true. Well, yeah, after so, web therapy, she just thought it was so easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, something you said earlier, Matt, is really funny because Stephen and I stole this concept from you. Oh. When you, when you came in, you... After we had our general, you came in and you pitched us some ideas, and you're like, "These are the ideas my my manager told me not to bring up not in the to room." Bring up. That's true. And yeah. you're like, "That's what we want. We yeah. be what we're doing specifically. That's what we want. Not everybody wants this, but <laughs> we want that." And so, oftentimes, Stephen will quote you in meetings with generals of like, "The stuff your manager is telling you not to bring to the room, bring to the room. We want the weird, interesting, avant garde, auteur yeah. shit." Well, and to to finish that story, um. And just to maybe explain kind of the lens you guys are viewing things through, I sent you guys a bunch of weird stuff. And the one that you liked the best oh, so um, is basically a different version of the show that mm-hmm. I'm making with you now. Like mm-hmm. you literally already greenlit a pretty darn similar idea. Mm-hmm. Wait, so you you just emailed Kate like 10 log lines? Is that how that worked? I had a, I, I call it the shoebox, but like, yeah, I just had like uh, a bunch of two pagers, basically. Mm-hmm. Two pagers, you know, like it would be like a log, title, log line, um, basic premise, um, a couple characters, some episode ideas. And are any of the titles untitled Pinkberry Project or something of that nature? I tend to want to find a solid title just because like that ends up being the the thing what everyone calls it what everyone calls it and also like kate has to go to her bosses and be like oh you know we had this meeting with matt and low he's really great um he has a couple of ideas and uh this one i you know she'll bring up and he'll the boss will be like ah that doesn't sound good um and she'll be like oh what about um catchy title right mm-hmm. catchy title is really good i have a show and called then, catchy title and then like they're like catchy title that's interesting tell me more right that is true how much do you care about titles because it's something that we really 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 stress about right and we we know that the wrong title can ruin everything i think i think at the pitch phase when you're when you're the executives you're pitching to have yet to take it to their bosses it's less important by the time that you guys all agree it's in a good place, like your deck is ready, it's 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 ready for the guy who's going to sign the check. You need a good title. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's something that you hard. would work with them on. Work with them on, or like, based on the conversations we're having with a lot of people, a lot of people come in and say, this is the untitled sci-fi project. Right. And, and based on the back and forth and just kind of the direction things have gone, a lot of times the, the title falls in your lap. Not always. I know it's a hard game, but like, it's, way better to have a title that you think is pretty good sure. than untitled blank. How many untitled sci-fi projects do you feel like you, you guys have just kind of in the hopper, not, not on your slate, but like, right. Oh, we, we met with all these people. Do you ever get confused? Do you mean, Oh, is it Oren's sci-fi project or is it Matt and sci-fi project? There can be confusion. The hardest thing for Steven and I specifically, because we are still building the studio, <laughs> And it's just been the two of us for a while. Like on a weekly basis, we have about 85 pitches coming in. Right. Um, All in the room. Some in the room, some are just follow-ups of like, okay, you guys passed on these ones. Here's my next wave, Um, which we really appreciate. Like people who understand, once they understand what we're looking for and they can just keep feeding us ideas of like, here's another one. I I get what you're looking for. I understand these ones weren't right. Like take your time. I'll follow up in two or three weeks. Like that's perfect. And also knowing that you're going to have more ideas. Yeah. 
How much time do you have during the week to listen to pitches? <laughs> we take somewhere between 10 and 20 meetings a week that are generals. And then most pitches, we take as follow-up materials. There's maybe four or five meetings a week that are like hard actual pitches. And a lot of the times those are the ones that are the vaguest where they want to come in and they really want to talk through the, the possibilities. So let's walk. So let's say I came, let's say I scheduled something with you two weeks from now mm-hmm. and I came into the office. Would it be okay if I had a sheet of paper with some ideas written on it or should I just memorize them all? No, absolutely. That's totally fine. I think it is worth considering if you're coming into the room with written materials, what's the benefit of you being in the room versus sending us that piece of paper? And like, if you have a really compelling reason why it's better for you to read that aloud to us than for us to read it, it's worth doing the meeting. Otherwise, it's worth sending the piece of paper and following up with us with a phone call or an email. Um, but if there's no other reason than, than you want to watch our faces while we read, that's just <laughs> uncomfortable is, for everybody. Well, that is valuable. <laughs> sure. No, but I no, I think it would be like, here's like my 10 log lines. So I'd be like, well, mm. this I've been really into this thing. Or like my uncle was quadriplegic. And I always thought it'd be interesting yeah. to have a quadriplegic character because I like took care of him one summer. And so this is kind of my show about a quadriplegic guy that all of a sudden gets spinal cord surgery and he can walk. He's 35, but he's never had right. sex. He's never driven a car. He's never done anything. And I just think it's just like this fascinating thing. It's kind of like a 40-year-old virgin, but it's like more real. It's about a person that's never been able to go to the bathroom by themselves and now they can't. Like, what are the nuances of that? And then I'd say, see what you guys say. And then I'd be like, okay, next. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, I would have like 10 ideas written, like log lines for right. myself. And then I'd kind of pitch Chat them. through them. One, right. Yeah. Is that a weird way to No, a ton of people do it that way. And that's that's great. I think the hard part in that is we want to have genuine conversation about our stuff. And I don't know if that's true everywhere. Um, it's definitely the intention everywhere that I've worked and been in pitch rooms. But like your first idea, let's talk about this. Like what what led you to be the person to tell this story? Like let's dig into what the concept is and who this character is and like you know, are they surrounded by family? Is this a, a friend story? Is this they're alone? They've lived alone and they've made it work as a quadriplegic. And now they don't have to be as alone or is it too like, you know, like all these nuances to the story that we want to know that. Do you know that about every single 10, all 10 of your pitches? Or is that something you want us to follow up with questions so you can think about them and come back to us? So it's really it's like a weird balance of how much information do you have about your concepts all 10 of them that you can answer in the room comfortably right or is it or is it better to send the list and let us say like oh that's super interesting here's our questions about it or like this one's not for us we're super interested in this one like send us what your tonal comps are and like talk us through x y and z and then come in and talk about them but it it really is up to you of what you think the best footing is to get your shows across the threshold right but so just to Hark back to Harken back. Hark. Just to reference something from a few few minutes ago. (laughs) But you said that you always think the best pitches are in the room. I think the best pitches are the, and this is a personal preference. I think the best pitches are the people who come into the room and are super self-aware of how prepared they are to have this, the conversation that it evolves into, whatever that may be. And, can be really frank about it of like, 
I haven't thought about that. Like, right. I'd be interested to explore that in development because that's really the goal is to get to development and understand how malleable you are with things and what your taste is and like your general direction you want to take creative is the important part to impart in a room. And like end of the day, if you're a person that seems like you can take criticism, you can answer questions, like maybe you get flustered, but like you can be humorous about it. Like mm-hmm. it's really a lot of it is personality in the room. So so let's actually let's take a step back, actually, because I think we've spent a lot of time talking about the literal act of pitching, which mm. I think our listeners are going to be interested in. But there's the the earlier question is like, how do you get in excited in the room in the first place? Right. Because like really we're saying like a good pitch is part of it, but also uh, the talent is the other half of it. Mm-hmm in order to get in the room at adaptive you guys need to be excited about that person for some reason so in case uh, our listeners haven't worked with you for a couple of years before right <laughs> what do you do how do you how do you get the the attention of uh, a studio like yourselves or like you know other people that you've heard of for sure i mean our talent comes from so all over the place like we get a lot from our contest engine that's a great way as an unknown person to get in the door and it's pretty unique to what we do because we are looking for unknown emerging voices. And how do you find the contest engine? You can go to projectgreenlight.com. Um, they're constantly being posted up there. We also have it all over social media. It's on our Facebook and stuff. Like We're pretty consistent with trying to get people to come in and join the community. And uh, just to vouch for it, that's no joke. Like We have a couple friends who got in through Project Greenlight and like have done legitimate work with you guys. Mm-hmm branded content all sorts of like work work basically because of that relationship and because of a contest yeah whereas like you know i tend to be a bit of a snob about contests in general Um, but this is really oh just an entry point to a community and a roster of directors yeah that's exactly how we think about it is like by being in the top 20 the top 100 whatever it is per contest we interview and meet that many people out of it and it says in the contest rules if you get to come in and have a sit down with Steven and I. So on top of our generals, we have all these meetings with contests like finalists, which is a great way to bring people in. Are you flying people in? Are you Skyping with them? There's a lot of Skyping. Um, There's a lot of Skyping. There's a lot of Google Hangouts. Um, Conference calls are the worst version of it, but it happens. Um, Some people choose to come in because if they can get... If they have a reason to come, they try to set up a lot of meetings while they're here. And it's a good excuse to come to L.A. Um, But the top, usually the top five or so get the opportunity of like an in-person, depending on the contest. So we just did one of the Shutter Labs. Every contestant who's in the top five got to lunch in New York. They did like a full on like week long intensive film something. And let's talk about how to make horror. One of those people is going to win money to make a horror feature. Everybody else is now part of the community. Like How we much know them. money do they get for their feature? I think it's 300000 Oh, cool. That's real enough. money. It's yeah, real that's money. A, that's enough money to make a yeah, great 300-minute movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Based on our previous that's, math. That's two features. Um, no, but so the way the way the community works is like once you're in, you're invited to all our events, and those are the people we look at first when we're making our feature films. Do you get to choose if you have drinks with Ben Affleck or Matt Damon, <laughs> or do you have to choose whoever you're assigned to? I mean, to they're you? not around the office very much these days. Um, do, have they ever been in the office? Have you not seen since I've worked there, but when Project Greenlight was happening, there was a, 
a lot of like hands-on involvement because that's that ultimately came from their company. So they had a company that owned Project Greenlight, and then we acquired that. And that's how we started making the show. And they stayed involved, which was great. But uh, the community aspect of, like, individuals and, like, coming together is the point of Project Greenlight. So besides the contest, though, um, it's kind of more just the standard stuff of, like, I made a great short film or I did great at Sundance, stuff like that sort of stuff. there's a ton of... Um, going through school systems and trying to get teachers to send us things and trying to get alumni to send us things. Um, pretty much every filmmaker who's ever come through is like, here's 10 of my buddies. I loved working with you guys. So it kind of organically grows mm-hmm. based on who we have worked with. And then we're doing tons of outreach to film schools and to programs like Canon has programs and Red has programs. Yeah. And we're trying to try to be a central hub for a lot of these people who have had success in other like incubators and lab systems to come check us out and see if it's somebody that would be interested in working in the world we're working in. Right. And let me ask you, so there's a lot of companies right now that are putting a lot of money into this type of thing, like a, like Black Pills, for instance. Yeah. They're like starving for content, right? They're a European company and they're putting French, making a big investment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there, they're probably looking for pitches too is there ever a situation where someone pitches something to you and you think oh we should just take this directly to black pills or go 90 or youtube bread or do you always want to shoot the episodes there are some ideas that are just too massive and i'll and some of the times we're like look this is huge for us to do this we would have to get co-financing or a partner to come in and be essentially the only financier while we would be the production entity and those ones, there, there are pros and cons. We're not against it. But at at its base level, which you guys both know, in having essentially somebody who is telling you exactly how, minutes it, how many minutes it needs to be, who you need to cast, where you need to shoot it, all of those elements down to like your sound deliverables. Every piece of that adds up to more money that isn't going necessarily on screen to put your vision out there. And so... We'd rather let people decide those things for themselves and give them general guidelines than be the dictators that can oftentimes be a detriment to the creative. So, so when you're hearing a pitch then, um, and are you ever, are you thinking like, oh, Black Pills would really love this and we can send it, sell them to them upstream? Like how does, right? Because it's not just that you, you guys are deficit financing out of the goodness of your hearts. It's always with... Um, an upstream model, so you're licensing elsewhere. Right. How much do those buyers weigh in on those decisions? None at front. So essentially the goal is for us to, for Stephen and I in the room to look at a project and say like, we know there will be buyers for this. This is a romantic comedy. There's at least six buyers we can think of that are looking for that. So we're going to make the best version that this can be without any input from anybody who might want to buy it. And then at the end, we'll go out to them and say like, Come license this. It fits exactly into what you're looking for. It's done. You right. can start airing it tomorrow. And um, that is that is a big selling piece right now in the digital space. Of like, mm-hmm. you don't have to wait the nine months until this sure. is in your hands. Yeah. And, it, and it, it, we already had those nightmares. Yeah. Right. Things have already exploded. We mm-hmm. did it. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, cool. So before we end this, can you just give us a, a list? So you already told us 
when people come in and pitch Uber stuff, <laughs> tend to not like it. Girls on a different date every episode is something you're over. Mm-hmm. And someone that just reads the script and can't really talk about their idea in a conversation mm-hmm. tends to not be like your your favorite pitch. Any other things like um, would it kill someone if they referenced? Would it kill a pitch if they reference Black Mirror or Stranger Things? <laughs> or Handmaid's Tale. Um, there's um, a part of pitching that is required for you to say, like, this is similar to X. This is similar to the X-Files plus Thelma and Louise. Cool. We can wrap our head around those concepts. If you know something is in the zeitgeist that is so popular and you reference it, there are some rooms that love it. Some right. rooms you'll walk into and they're like, yep, we got the next Stranger Things in our hands. But do they like... Cause I don't know. <laughs> they must have, They must hear it so many times, right? But I think they're... But their bosses are also like, yeah. what the fuck? Why don't we have a Stranger mm-hmm. Things? Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's a... I feel like in the traditional space, there's a lot more culture of... of um, repeating what works. Repeating what works. And like the fear mentality of like, we can use the language that best gets us the smoothest entry, whether it's a good project or not, if we can get it in the door and like check it off our list, there's a little bit more of that. Whereas for what we're doing specifically, it's a lot more, we want unique and, and to know what it actually is. We don't need you to try and dress it up in a bow that it's not, that doesn't fit, I suppose. Okay. What else? I mean, I'm super specific about decks. Oh yeah. Yes. The ideal deck for me super heavily relies on, a, your font choice. I follow a lot of Instagram font accounts. <laughs> Super into font. So you just are, you care about font. I care about font, but I also know that other people care about font. And fonts. can you like, please, for the love of God, tell the, my one of my writing partners that you care about spelling and grammar? Oh, so oh much. Oh my God. So, and he's like, so who much. cares? I'm not a great speller. I'm like, because <laughs> you're a writer, dude. Like the yeah. second someone says, you're like, hire me to write, and they see that you misspelled the word, <laughs> they're not going to hire you. Or just aren't detail oriented. I'm not yeah. a great speller either. Like, that's what spell check is for. And then mm-hmm. you send it to somebody yeah. who is a good speller, mm-hmm. speller just to make sure that you don't look stupid. Yeah, just like yeah. have somebody copy edit it. Yeah. Even our if that's original, not their full-time job, just yeah. let them read it. Yeah. Matt originally spelled our podcast, just shoot it. And he put an E at the end of shoot. That's true. I mean, that Ooh. seems old timey. Shoot. Just shoot. <laughs> yes. Anyway, you were saying you, fonts. Um, well, and, and you are you a stickler because of clarity or style what is it that you like about fonts i think font twofold is uh to be able to read it on a computer screen or on your iphone or print it out like the different mediums in which you can read a pdf it has to be legible in every single one if you have one that is like a super scripty one printed on a page in front of you looks beautiful on your iphone illegible like Right. Know your audience and know where they're going to be reading this stuff. And when you're taking 50 pitches a week, you're going to be reading some on your phone. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Lots. Potentially you're, while you're using the restroom. But you're also <laughs> but you're also handing your boss a printout because he's running around and you need to give him a physical thing. Right? Yeah. The ideal situation for every creator that comes in is like our um, team coordinator can print out everything and hand it to us. And over the weekend, we'll just like sit on the couch and read through everything. It's not always the case. Like I'm on airplanes all the time, like using bad Wi-Fi. If it's not a crisp, easy to read document at the core, that's the first one that I like send back. And they say like, I'll read this next week if you can print one out for me. And then there's another week where I haven't read your materials. Um, so that's font. 
I think color scheme and like general layout, simple is better. You don't, it's not a carnival. You're just trying to get across a concept. Like every page doesn't need to be 30 photos. Pick a photo, pick two photos, pick a simple background, make it like easy to read and ingest the information. There's okay. <laughs> no, I'm this, I'm going to show you some decks, right? <laughs> Let me stop recording and you, I, you I just give me wait. a five second uh, critique of each one. For, for <laughs> real, Orin, I, Orin, I love your decks. I think they look awesome, but I've only ever looked at them on a, on a big, nice laptop screen. I have been told. Do you told, look at them like on your on I your have side? been told, that, and this, this is embarrassing, but that some of my font choice is a little smaller than it should be. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's another good point is yes. like how much information you're putting on each page. Like if you're getting to the point where you're considering reducing the font size to fit more information, maybe instead reconsider like curating the information you're putting on the page a little bit better. So, right. yeah, I, you know, it's hard to express. Uh, I don't want to speak for you, Kate, mm. but there is the adage that like executives don't read. And it is true. I've watched people, their eyes glaze over and they just kind of flip through the thing and they scroll and you don't if you don't grab them, you don't, you don't got them. And so like bullet points are a big thing for me, like bolding specific keywords are a thing, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, people just don't, won't read it. Maybe this isn't true for everybody, but when I get a deck, regardless, I will scroll through every single page and like, look at it and I will take it, take it in before as a full document before I read anything. Maybe it's judgy, but I look at like how they chose to lay things out. This is a creative person who's presenting an idea that they want to make a visual medium out of. How do they present this to me? If every page has 45 pictures and like comic sans, we probably don't agree on very much. So it is better to come in with your materials, the best possible polish you can get them. And that for me is font and layout and structure and like clarity of information. And there's like five basic things you have to include, which is uh, a log line, a synopsis. Like, if How long you- is a synopsis? Like a paragraph? What do you consider a paragraph? How many sentences? Like seven, six or seven sentences. How tall is it? (laughs) It's a podcast, Matt. People can't see. Uh, If we're talking like 11 point font, it should be like three to five sentences max. Like that, if you can't get your concept across in five sentences that aren't extremely run on sentences either, then I think you need to, to go back to how you're pitching it and rethink the cleanest way to get your concept across because that's the most likely thing they're going to read. Yeah. And so the logline, like, is it okay if it ends like, the logline is kind of like a setup and then what launches us into the story and maybe like one thing in the story. And I always think of the synopsis as being a little bit more like a beginning, middle, and end. You Sure. And I think people look at loglines two different ways from what I've seen often. One is what would you put on the movie like box or the poster of like, it's the I, end of the world. What happens next? I would call right. that a tag. Yeah. yeah. So some people treat the logline like it's a tag. And some people treat the logline like it is the the IMDB one-liner. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, this character is doing X to get Y. Well, and but, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's say Armageddon, right? It's like the one of the most famous loglines, right? It's like when a ragtag group of coal miners or whatever... Or right, oil to save their oil own by drillers. blowing yeah. up an asteroid. Right, right. Yeah. That's um, the IMDb one-liner. That's what comes up when you. But then the synopsis is in, in the synopsis. Do they give away that Bruce Willis ends up staying? You know, is the one that ends up saving the world by blowing up that asteroid? 
I think that's up to you as the person trying to, to tell the story. I think the most important parts to put in the synopsis are who who is your character? Why do you care about them or their story or the theme or whatever the, the thing you're trying to sell as the engine is? Explain that. And then you can get into your scenarios or your setting or your theme or your characters. Whatever pieces are the most important to sell the engine are the pieces that should end up in your deck. And can you, like, what's a bad example of a theme? Like, is like, in this show, we're going to explore the ins and outs of relationships. Is that... That's, that's not a, a good one. Right. <laughs> like, I well, think... Hold on, but let's talk about why it isn't. Why isn't it a good one? Because the concept of exploring relationships is so, so broad. It's like, you can't make something without that, right? Right. That's every story ever told. Right. I mean... Finding Nemo to fucking dinosaurs on Fox is like all that. So like if your theme is um, finding one's true self or coming to terms with uh, cancer or whatever, oh, that's a horrible one. Ix that. God, <laughs> kill me. Well, no, like 50-50, right? It's about a guy yes. that's diagnosed yeah, with cancer yeah. and he's trying to still live a normal life, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I guess thematically it's like how you how you try to be normal in like abnormal situations, right? Yeah, it's like the choices you make when faced with mortality, kind of like decision making. It's 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 interesting the way that people present in deck form the most important information. Some people have a whole page that's just like here's the theme, here's a simple simple sentence about what that theme is with a beautiful image. And some people don't address what the theme is. Instead, it's here's my setting and this story has to take a take place in little Havana in Miami because it is the heart of the city that nobody's ever explored and choosing those pieces that you include in your deck that should be no more than 10 pages long. Um, Uh (laughs) (laughs) Some decks are a lot longer, but nobody's going to read all that unless an executive who already loves the project. Right. There's a difference between a deck and a Bible. Yeah, right. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Right. Like a deck is just a sales tool of like, here's what the show is. Do you mm-hmm. want to buy it? And yeah. then the Bible, you get paid to to create. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's one of the core th- things that Stephen and I try to live by is we don't want free work. So like doing a 10 page deck with information you already have in your head is worth your time to sell a show. Doing a 40 page deck that goes into depth and character and every episode, you should be paid for that amount of work. That's hours and hours of work that you're talking about well to me like i feel like the writing is like 10 percent of my time on a deck because usually when i'm making a deck i already have i've already like throughout the last day or two just thought of things and just written notes in my iphone so the writing part i'm like already it's like finding the images that takes me the longest and half the time i like have to photoshop stuff because there isn't like the perfect image especially you know i pitch a lot of like sci-fi or like genre stuff Mm -hmm. where it's like there is this type of creature in this type of world and doing this type of thing in this time period and it's like that just doesn't exist you know but do you think that it would be like an easier pitch if it was more abstract imagery and then once you got to a stage where the show is purchased then you can do key art and like have somebody actually draw these characters to your vision uh i'm just afraid that like there's a picture of like george clooney from children or um clive owen from children of Mm -hmm. men because that's the tone of my movie that, but my character is 
16 years old that you'll instantly have this disconnect like wait clive owens like right. 40 well, i think that's why you do like your deck is like you've got the 16 year old girl up top in your splash image right and then when you're after you've set up your premise and theme and characters and then you say the world and you have an image of children of men and then you have an image of the walking dead and then you have an image of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and then you have ellen page from you know fucking juno Juno, there you go. Then you're like, oh, I see. This right. is all combined. I know that's a little contrary to what Kate was saying about the number of images that you should have on a page. But if you're trying to paint a portrait of like, right. I mean, you all can, of these things right, together. Let's average right? these images. Mm -hmm. But in a perfect world, because like I think what you say, I used to, when I pitched commercials treatments, I used to put a lot of images. And then yeah. I saw a whole somebody world. showed me like these really good commercial treatments where it's one super nice high res image per page. Mm -hmm. And I was like, God, I should do that. And then I just got, I just get into this like mad hunt for images and mm -hmm. it's really freaking hard. Yeah, I mean, and this is personal preference, but when it comes to characters, I would rather read who the character is than than be tainted by a John Ham or or a whomever. Oh, like, I've been tainted pictures. by him many times. <laughs> so many, <laughs> just walking by him. Uh, and so the images, anything you can tell us about the images for like page by page, or or just in general, like what you turns you off, like if if something is like super colorful on one page and black and white on the next page, does that bother you? I mean, not necessarily, but I think you you going into to do a deck in general, you're setting a tone for your show. So you should be thinking about your color palette. If this is like a gritty noir and you're going to make it sepia toned and you're actually going to film it sepia or, or deliver it sepia, like, great, do that. Show what the product is going to look like. If it's going to be like a show set in like Forks, uh, Oregon, like Twilight, like it's green and lush and right. jewel tones. Like use the colors of your story to enhance your deck. Um. Wow. Well, I feel like we should wrap things up because we're really over time. Are this we? is I all really so useful. No. <laughs> um. So, but we should do unpaid endorsements. Yeah. Unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. I have something. It's like a weird because it's like kind of a spammy thing. Um, but I saw like a, uh, on Facebook, a f like an ad that was for film editing, film edit pro it's called. Um, and it was like how to edit a trailer, three free lessons. And I clicked on it and it was like, put in your email address. And I was like, uh, but it's, but the trailer of the trail, the, the trailer the to how to edit a trailer was like really well done. And I was like, eh, okay, I'll put my name in. I'm trying to find the oh, film editing pro. And then so he this guy, Chris, at film editing pro sends you a new like trailer, how to edit a trailer tutorial uh, every day for three days. And then he opens enrollment for this trailer editing class, which is like a, about a thousand dollars to take. And it's like 24 courses and he gives you feedback and he provides you with this gigantic library of like trailer sound effects, which is there oh, is cool. like oh that is cool there is like a real language of trailer sound effects like rises and suckbacks mm -hmm. and hits and um suckbacks i never can remember that word yeah that's yeah. <laughs> yeah you know it's kind of a gross word yeah yeah, yeah. Mm, <laughs> only if you guys have dirty minds All right. but um uh i think i'm not like looking to be a trailer editor per se but i was editing this trailer so i was watching the three last first lessons are really great he interviews he, I don't know what his background is, but everyone that 
he's like kind of has on as part of the course is edited like giant like he has like the Baywatch trailer and he has like the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer and somehow he has them in a format where he has like the dialogue the, the stems, music yeah. the, all the stems yeah all the sound effects worked out and he talks about um how to keep the audience's interest and how to get let give time for the dialogue to 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 sink in and you know trailers they have like acts just mm-hmm. like anything else um and it, they're they're built out in these pods and how to get the humor to work and the reverses and it's just super informative. It's called film, uh, film editing pro. Check it out and the first three lessons are free and it's totally worth checking out. And if you are interested in editing trailers, I think the thousand dollars is worth it too, especially if you get this giant library of sound effects. Yeah. Um. So check it out, film editing pro. Kate, you got anything? <laughs> I've been obsessed with this podcast for. I listen to your guys quite a bit, um, oh, but there's a podcast called My Favorite Murder. Have you guys heard of this? Mm-hmm. My Favorite Murder? Yeah. It's um, a comedy? comedy podcast about murder, true life, true crime murders. But I have been so busy lately and just like sometimes our jobs feel like life or death and listening to a podcast that is comedy about true life or death is the most relaxing thing I can do recently. It's like the past two weeks of just hard binging on it. It is terrific. Um, and it is on iTunes. And it's called My Favorite Murder. My Favorite Murder. Awesome. I have a, a serious podcast addiction. And I'm literally <laughs> today I was walking to go get lunch. And I was like about to put on Pod Save America or one of the zillions of mm-hmm. podcasts I listen to. And I was like, no. I'm just going to see if I have a thought. <laughs> and I did. Oh, good. Congrats, man. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a worthwhile thing to do. Uh, well, I have a little bit of follow-up. Previously, I endorsed the Bunny Hop, which is only available in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, yes. It's a type of drink. Mm-hmm. It's a type of drink. I heard about it. Uh, so Verve Coffee Shop, which is a chain here in Los Angeles, oh, yeah. does an espresso tonic that is quite similar, and I recommend um, and also, can you I've tell been, us one more time the ingredient. Like bubbly. It's so yeah. So it's it's like a sparkling water of some sort. So like a tonic water in this case, mm-hmm. uh, and then a shot of espresso, and then a little uh, honey simple syrup if you want to go crazy, or a twist of lemon. And on set, I've been getting um, iced coffee and mixing it with a lemon Lacroix, which that I know sounds, sounds so gross. Bad. I know it sounds yeah. gross. It's pretty good, you guys. And on a hot day, when you're shooting in the fucking desert or something, a cold lemon LaCroix with some iced coffee is worth it. And I just want to point out that it's definitely not 100... Like, it's definitely a subjective thing, because I have a friend that drinks coffee with lemon, and I was like, ooh, I love lemon, I love coffee, and I tried mixing them, and I, like, could not finish my coffee. What, with with a sparkling water, though? Did you add that to it or no? No, but what's... Because, because what's that is important. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, so Intelligentsia will serve a um, sparkling water with their house espresso, which is what first got, I was like, oh, it opens up your taste buds a little bit more, which is helpful, like with a, a bitter coffee. So like that's kind of the, that was my gateway at first. And now combining them. I know it's weird, you guys. It's great. I'll try it once. I'll do anything once. Go you know. go to Verve and try the their tonic espresso. Where's Verve? Uh, they're all over town. There's one downtown. There's one. Beverly Hills, there's a couple in Santa Monica. They're around. Mm. It's like, like, you know, three places I don't go to. A yuppie third wave coffee shop. I um, do like how serious you get about coffee. I'm for real about it. You are. Uh, I, so I walked to a verve while I was shooting and um, was with my wife and uh, squealed 
basically when I realized <laughs> that they had espresso tonic yes. there. Like the the coffee shop attendant was like a little surprised. Yeah, like, well, your like, wife whoa. was very embarrassed. No, she was. She understood how excited I was. So, um, so that's just a little bit of housekeeping. But uh, I'm gonna endorse. I love Dick. Who are you guys watching that show? Oh, oh the pilot's I, so good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. We watched. We binged the whole thing, Kara and I. And oh, no spoilers. I haven't gotten mm. that far then. And given a solid B plus. Ooh. Oh, interesting. I, I think it's, I mean, to, compared to Transparent, which sure. is... Sure. Do you guys usually obviously. have the same taste in things? Like, no. No, yeah. We, mm. I think there's there's plenty of overlap, but, oh, yeah. but not. it's not a one-to-one for sure. Mm. Yeah. But you liked Wonder Woman. I did like Wonder Woman. I had big problems with that third act. Oh, right. Actually. You didn't like yeah. it as much as I did. I still haven't seen it. Oh, you should. It's I about keep hearing about it. A girl pretty, just trying to find love. Mm, it's pretty cool. Perfect. In an Uber. He, he, that <laughs> there's that first fight sequence that is so awesome and like pretty. On different. the island. On the that's island. The one that's in all the trailers. It's right? not. Yeah. Okay. So they're riding horses. They're shooting arrows yeah, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like acrobatic and well, so it's like this very Zack awesome. Snydery. Yeah, but but also like. Um, like warrior princess, it's like Xena meets Zack Snyder, and then yeah. it's fucking awesome. And in the back of my head, I was like, "We're not gonna be on a horse much in this movie. Right. After this, we're we're gonna be in World War One." Uh, and I was right. So that's well, really my dis. That's just me. The hesitancy I've had to see it so far is is Stephen, who's a great critic of things. He hated how um, dumb she was. No. Yeah, she's pretty dumb. She's pretty no, dumb. No, she's not. That, like, there's a lot of that, what is this? Like, n- yeah, she's never been. Um, uh, female oh stereotype. I, I, don't, like I have not seen it. I don't have total, an opinion yet. My, my impression was I was so happy that the humor, first of all, even five years ago, Chris Pine would be the comic, the funny guy, and she would just be the, mm-hmm. like, stoic heroine. And she really has all the funniest lines in the movie, um, and it all and the comedy doesn't come from anything relationship based. It doesn't come from like men being like, "What a woman can fight!" Like that's never sure, that's the, true. the joke. It's always like her appreciating these things. Like there's a scene I think it's in one of the trailers where she gets ice cream. And she tastes it, and she's like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" Like, congr- like that you should be really is, proud of yourself. That for moment is really ice sweet, cream. actually. Yeah, and that's like the type of humor where it's like, I don't think she comes off as dumb. She comes off. She ends. She's saying these like really kind of utopian, idealistic things, and people think she's dumb because she's so not dumb, but naive because she's or so earnest. idealistic. Yeah, and then you know, I don't think it's a big spoiler to to find out that she is kind of right about mm. things. You know. I didn't find her dumb at all. She's there, there's a, I don't know. There's a I line where it's kind of like, "Hey, we should talk about like this isn't you're misunderstanding some basic things here." You know, like <laughs> like Chris Pine never was like, "Hey, I know you grew up on an island that's different. Here's the way it works." No, the but way he did before the first battle in the trenches. Right, that's true. But he was he was very vague. He was like, "You can't do that here," and she was like, "Well, I'm gonna," and then did. Right. Spoiler, mm-hmm. guys. Anyway, I don't know. I thought it was see great. the movie. I will to- I'll, I'll, I'll see the movie. I totally agree. The third act turns into every superhero, superhero film movie, you've ever yeah. seen, and it's a lot of things that weren't quite set up. But a lot of but, people love that. But yeah. the movie yeah. do do they? I wonder if people do. I don't know. I guess the third act of the Avengers, that first Avengers, is pretty good, and it is just like mm. buildings falling down and yeah. stuff. Yeah, you're right. All the third acts of all these movies. Yeah. I mean, Ghostbusters is like the worst of them, where it's like. 
you've made these amazing characters and then you just mm-hmm. did yeah, exactly just like, the same thing we've yeah, yeah. seen a million times yeah that that stuff bums me out and I, you know I, I get that they're trying to just make an extravaganza and stuff but but with Wonder Woman yeah. I thought I don't know I just it like made me emotional and I know Carol was like crying like the whole movie so I don't well, know go, everyone like go see it it's worth seeing I saw Rough Night you guys not as good I heard it was a rough it's a rough night 50% on Rotten Tomatoes um, <laughs> anyway okay if we want to find out more about Adaptive should we go to Project Greenlight or should we go to just Google Adaptive Studios you can go to AdaptiveStudios.com you can go to ProjectGreenlight.com you can go to our Facebook Twitter we got it all and more importantly if we want to find out more about Kate Grady um my picture is on adaptivestudios.com. <laughs> do you tweet or do you? I do don't. Anything? I I don't. Yeah, I'm you're kind of invisible media. on the. Wait, are you not on Facebook? I am, but I think the last Look, thing I posted can't. was like four or five years ago. Our listeners yeah, yeah. aren't going to go friend her on Facebook. Sure, yeah, sure. I think all that shit's blocked anyway. But uh, yeah, I'm just not a huge social media person. But I think that's kind of a development thing. Also, is like. You know, you don't want people. You don't want to be too reachable. Like, yeah, I mean, I've got an idea. But and what's your home address? Yeah. <laughs> just, what, Let me uh, just give them your address. What, what's your social security number? But that is true. Everything at a certain point in your career turns into every interaction is about work. Yeah. But you know, we love I think work. that sounds really we negative. We love our jobs. Yeah. yeah. That's, that, awesome. I, that's definitely. I don't mean it negative. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, and uh, you can find out more about our show at justshootitpod.com a website we haven't updated for way too long. Uh, but I might do it tomorrow. We'll see. Oh, cool. Uh, on Twitter, we're just shoot a pod. Uh, you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And you can find follow me at Smitey Pileg. Music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And this episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Jay. And that's about it. We'll see you guys see next you time. See in the pictures. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.